Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please, please be seated. One of the most difficult times of any game or match or a competitive piece is the last piece. In football, in basketball, it's the fourth quarter. In baseball, it's the ninth inning. And you're getting to the end of the game and you either know you're going to lose or you know you're going to win. And if you know you're going to win, the, they say playing out the string. You're just going to get through the end and celebrate and do your thing. If you're losing, it becomes desperation time. You throw the Hail Mary, you swing at an outside pitch, you launch the ball from the cheap seats. You hope that in some desperate way you have an opportunity to win. I would offer that we are in the fourth quarter of the pandemic. It sure seems like we're at the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning or however you want to talk about it. It seems like we're going to win. And it seems like life's going to get back to what we would like it to be. And it seems like it's going to come fairly quickly. But there's this little glitch that we have to get through. This little piece of the fourth quarter. And then we get to win. In our own church, the emails about who had what when and who was exposed to whom when all kind of all mellowed out. And it seemed at Christmas we're like, okay, this is, yeah, it's all kind of back to normal. And then the last week and a half, holy smokes, we've had an email every day of this and that and this and that and this and that. And you can feel the anxiety and see people coming back into kind of an isolated way of living. Some have had their jobs threatened, and this week with the Supreme Court decision, they're breathing a bit easier, and this evening, this afternoon, this morning, we get to think a little bit about Martin Luther King Jr. and his dream for America, and we have the, the whole woke piece that goes alongside of our culture, and it's been kind of a crazy start to 2022, and I'm not sure that any of us would have seen it coming but more than likely, a vast majority of us are kind of worn out from the hemming and hawing, from the, do I do this, do I do that? And being it, it's in the fourth quarter, our margins are somewhat and our energy is somewhat depleted, and we got to kind of play out the string and do the best we can with, with what we have. And so as Christians, as Christian people who follow Jesus... We put our hope not in our program or protocols, but like the disciples there in Cana of Galilee, we believe in Jesus. That's why you're here this morning, because you believe in Jesus. And you believe that a life, with, life lived with Jesus at the core of it is the best way to live. Jesus, the center of all things. He bids us this morning to believe in Him. He bids us this morning to trust Him for health and work, for faith and life, and ultimately to trust Him all the way to eternity. Our lives are not in the hands of a Supreme Court decision or the government or any ideologues of the age. Our lives are not in any new and modern, cultural, sociologically fit, aligned thing. Rather, our lives are in the hands of Jesus. And our faith is well-founded and hopefully you've experienced over this time a supernatural equilibrium 
that has given you trajectory not just to make it to the end of a pandemic, but a trajectory that will see you home to heaven and to be with the Lord forever. It's the fourth quarter. So let's call the right plays. Let's do the right thing. Let's put our shoulders back and our chin out and get after it until the gun sounds and everything kind of matriculates its way back to what it will be going forward. In our scripture this morning from Luke chapter 2, we have the foundational piece of that. It all goes back to a wedding, ironically enough. Jesus and his family and a couple of hand-picked disciples head up to Cana in Galilee. From the text, you wonder if the family's a little bit on the lower side of the socioeconomics because they were in the midst of committing a huge party foul. And the party foul was in a week-long reception running out of wine. The party was to go on and go on and go on, and there needed to be gallons of wine. Lots of food and lots of celebration and joy. And typically there was wonderful wine on the front end, according to the text. You have a beautiful California Cabernet. And then they brought the ripple, the Thunderbird, and the Tickle Pink out when everyone was pretty snapped up. It's from the text. I'm not making that up. (laughs) Jesus said that. Interesting to think about then. They ran out of all the wine and Mary comes to Jesus and says, in essence, do something. I know who you are. I spoke to the angel. The angel spoke to your dad. You can do something here and spare our loved ones, our friends. You can spare them from having a reception that everyone talks about because it was embarrassing and not joyful. Three things come out of this. Three lessons from this text that help us find equilibrium in a moment of craziness. That help us find a steadying presence and a place upon which to put our lives when everything around us seems to be going a little bit bonkers. The first piece of this is Jesus' words. He said, my time has not yet come. Mary said they got no more wine. Jesus said, hold your horses, mom. There's something bigger going on here. And the first thing from this text is that Jesus had a list of items to accomplish and he had timing to his entire ministry. Sometimes it's difficult to plan something out and say at 2 o'clock this, at 2.10 this, at 2.10 that. But Jesus had had a timing and the timing needed to be right. And so when he said his time had not yet come, he's looking at his mother and he's saying, just calm down. I've got this. Look back at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. Look back at the prophets. There's a list of things that the Messiah will accomplish so that everybody will look and say, this guy is the Messiah. This Jesus is the man. And so he healed the sick. The lame could walk, the blind could see, and the good news was preached to those who were in prison. And the case is built up over and over and over again that when you point to Jesus and you look at what he did when you look at the signs that he is the Messiah he is the Christ and an unbelieving generation starting with those disciples started nodding that day and going huh we filled up those enormous jars 
gallons and gallons of gallons. We filled them up with water. And when we brought it back, the smell of wine was unmistakable. And the smell and the fragrance of the wine filled the little house. And the servants looked at one another and they nodded and they go, there's something going on here. And the disciples, they nudged one another and they said, maybe Jesus is the guy. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the guy. And while his time had not fully come and the cross was not immediately before him, the time had come for the disciples to nod yes. The timing had come for Jesus to start checking the things off the list so that people in big crowds and in little homes, little cities like Bethany and Bethlehem and sprawling metropolises like Rome over the course of a hundred years would be able to look at the list compiled by Jesus of Nazareth and go, truly this one was the Son of God. And when His time had fully come, when everything was aligned, when everything was accomplished, He would be raised up on the cross and God and man would unite Himself with humanity. And John would write, then all people would be drawn to him, drawn to Jesus, the list complete, all signs pointing to him. He is the Savior, he's the Messiah, because he did all the Messiah work. And our next couple of Sundays, we're going to check off those things on the list. So that in the midst of a swirling world, you can put your feet down and say, yes, I believe in Jesus, the one who did what was to be done in the time in which it was timed out. And my faith in Him is well-founded. And I am courageous and strong in Him. The second piece of this text is that the transformational power is Jesus' power. He has the power to transform stuff. That day He transformed water and made it wine. He, he transformed the reception from a, a downward depressing trajectory into an upward one. And he transformed the hearts and lives of the disciples and all who were a part of that wedding that day. And it's amazing how Jesus and his followers have transformed every single thing they've touched since the moment he was born. Everything is changed. Everything has metamorphosis. Everything is transformed. Amazing how that works in the hearts and lives of God's people. Funny how that is. Your basic depressed secular pagan, when he marries his partner or person, they don't have hope in the future. And the birth rate is hanging in there at about 1.2% children per family per non-Christian household. But Christians who see hope and faith and life, Christians who see and understand that meaning to life is found in the power of Jesus, have more children, 2.5 per family at least. And they find meaning, they find hope, they find faith, they find all of the good things from God's heart to them. Because lives transform, deliver a sense of hope and connection in community to Jesus and to one another. 
the transformational part of Jesus, the power to transform family. It's the power also to transform culture and society. He was a rabbi who had women in his entourage. That wasn't normal, but for Jesus it was. He was a rabbi who transformed how the Western world looked at women. He was a teacher whose people took on his mantra and changed art and science and music and architecture. We invented hospitals and orphanages and places for those who suffered with addiction. People who needed restoration and recovery founded in the community of the church. And this weekend we are reminded of civil rights and Dr. King we're reminded of Christian leaders like Rosa Parks, Dr. King, and William Wilberforce who initiated the movement of the Western world towards freedom and eradication of slavery. And all others who saw to it that the values of our Lord Jesus and His people being created in His image and thus having inalienable rights. Jesus' people. Jesus' followers have been transforming culture and lives from the moment of this wedding and on. But that power to change is Jesus' power. When Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he said, therefore, you go. And his people have been going for over 2,000 years, bringing the transformative power of love and more into a world that needs exactly what Jesus died for. A world that needs more forgiveness. A world that needs healing. And we who believe in Jesus, we who are connected by faith to God through faith in Jesus Christ, find equilibrium and peace and grace and forgiveness and hope. And hope, Paul writes, does not disappoint us. Everything Jesus touches, he transforms, including you. Your hearts and your lives are made stronger and more resilient as you nod yes and hold on tight to Jesus. If you have your folder with you, your bulletin with you, I encourage you to look at, at that. And I want to read just one quick verse together. And that is the last verse of John chapter 2, the scripture that's there. And I'd like to read that 11th verse that starts with what Jesus did here. If you'd read that together with me, I would sure appreciate that. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. They believed in him. They put trust in him. They, they staked their future. They hitched their wagon to Jesus. They had some good wine. But beyond that, they, they nodded their head and they said, there's something going on here. This guy's different. This rabbi's different. There's a transforming power here that no other rabbi, no other person has. And doggone it, we'll follow Jesus wherever he leads. The biggest myth that humanity buys into is that humanity can buy is that there is something else to put your faith in besides faith in Jesus. So humanity, so people, try to find meaning in life through other venues. Perhaps we've tried to find the meaning of life in education 
And we learn and learn and learn, but there's always more to learn. There's always another degree. There's always a new philosophy, another way of thinking, another theory, another hypothesis. So in terms of being a steadying influence, education, while very, very good, cannot sit at the center of our lives. Some give themselves to recreation and fun, and we entertain ourselves to death, and everything is, is aligned with how something is funny or poignant or entertaining. So we travel, we ride, we drive, we camp. We do so much to invest our dollars and our time in entertaining ourselves. It's been fascinating during the time of the pandemic that we've blown through Netflix. And you said, I want to watch this. And people go, I've already seen it all. And still there's something more for a heart. We can't seem to find enough entertainment to fill our heart. Purchasing stuff doesn't work. There's always people who can purchase more than us or people who can purchase things that are nicer than ours or more than ours. There's something empty when we open something and look at it and go, man, that looked really good when I ordered it from Amazon, but now that it's here, it's kind of small and pitiful and weak. That stinks. We can't purchase ourselves to a point of equilibrium. And perhaps America is learning that during this season. And you can pick up any other theme of life you want, anything that engages you, anything that would unseat Jesus from the, the, the throne of your heart and, 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 and sit on there, a relationship, a person, a pastime, you name it. But remove that from the center and believe in Him. In Him there is meaning, in Him there is fulfillment, in Jesus there is life. Put your trust in Him and your life will be on a solid, firm foundation. And His disciples believed in Him. It's a crazy time. It just is. And it's not the first time in a craziness has infected the world, and it's certainly not the last time. Perhaps in this season you found your center in Jesus in a whole new way, and in Him and through Him you have found a sense of peace. In Him and through Him, through faith in Him, you found a, a stronger, more resilient connection to God Himself. Perhaps in Him and through Him you found a deeper, richer meaning to life here and now and a life that lasts forever. I hope those words ring in your ear this week. As we get through and move through the fourth quarter, knowing that we're going to win, knowing that we'll stand at the end with our arms raised, singing alleluias to the Lord. I pray until the moment that the last gun is, gun is sounded and the last trumpet is raised, that the words that mark the disciples that day in Cana would be words that mark your life. And his disciples believed in him. Amen? Amen.